the summer, end of school year, episode of Ignite Radio Live. Over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio, and always for the Almighty, you are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter, and a very special guest, Andrew Reinhardt. Um, and we are delighted to be with you on this beautiful May evening. Absolutely. So, folks, if you're like me, perhaps very committed to going to Mass on a regular basis, praying, seeking God's grace in many, many different ways, and maybe there's part of you that is asking the question, why does nothing seem to be changing? Why uh, is am I struggling with similar problems, orientations, inclinations of my soul, my mind, my spirit, um, it is certainly true that God could be allowing that to engender in us patience, and uh, that He's the Lord overall. He's presiding over our transformation. But there could also be other things that are at play in our transformation. And tonight, we're very blessed to have our brother in Christ, Andrew Reinhardt. He's the woo, parish woo, woo, woo. manager at Holy Rosary Cathedral. That title um, just doesn't No, it, it doesn't. Up, He's a uh, you know supreme Puba of the Western world. Something does that like work that. for you? Uh, um, blessed to have him I'll on our board on also with Image Trinity, and uh, just a blessing to so many different people, yes. um, and it, just a man of real integrity. I love my time with Andrew because he pursues God with his whole heart, and uh, he's been gifted intellectually. And uh, just to kind of set this up before we have some commercials, um, so you can anticipate this, Andrew is himself iconic of transformation. Uh, a couple years ago, he was 150 pounds greater. And, of course, it's more than just losing weight, but that's iconic. It's a sacramental, if you will. It's a physical sign of some decisions that Andrew uh, really studied and leaned into, especially in light of the theology of the body um, and some modern science and some things, how they come together to understand the dynamics of personal transformation. So he's going to share with us tonight some wonderful things that he has learned that maybe open our hearts and our minds to all the more receive the grace being poured out for this ultimate purpose of unity with Christ, our nature of fulfillment with Christ forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Before we do that, just two quick commercials. So, folks, June 15th, I want to invite you to join us, especially families, for a special mini-retreat. It begins at 2.15 p.m. at Holy Trinity Parish. You can find out more at ilovemyfamily.us. It's awesome. Even say it with me right now. It's a great declaration. I love my family.us. So 2.15 to 4.45, a little more than two hours, we're going to have a great opportunity to more fully encounter God alive in our marriages and families. And we're going to introduce, if you will, seven weeks for families to be united to the in this livid gathering experience of talking and praying. We know it causes trepidation for many. We know it's something that we're not maybe used to doing and putting a flag in the sand and saying, Lord, as for me and my house, we want to encounter you. But those who are doing this, themselves are giving great testimony to transformation. And we know it's tough, but we're there to support you and encourage you. And we're also going to launch at that time the second season of the Family Road Trip podcast. Four new star couples who are going to commit themselves over seven weeks to doing this and share candidly the challenge. So I love my family.us. We know you do too. Sign up for this event on June 15th. Again, hopefully you'll join us. Number two. On Sunday, Saturday is June 1st, and we invite you to join us for 90 days, men in particular, for something called Pentecost 90. What is this? Very simply put, we want to ignite men in ordinary faith. We want to ignite men in more fully embracing 
ordinary faith. So you've heard of Exodus 90, and by the way, there's no direct connection, but um, that was a powerful experience during Lent, ending on Easter, of being freed from things that we struggle with. Which of us in our hearts are not yearning for greater freedom? Exodus 90 is all about that. And many men who've been through that are now saying, okay, it's awesome, it's great, but what is sort of a roadmap that I might live ordinarily? What does the church call me to? How can I receive this grace being poured out? We're inviting you to join us in 90 days of really cultivating, being forged in an ordinary kind of response to God. Fundamentals. Find out more at Pentecost90, that's spelled 90, Pentecost90.us, and it begins this coming Saturday. Could they jump in at any point, Greg? If Yeah, I mean, nobody's, obviously, to commit to these seven things so it could are be like ordinary. Pentecost 30 or 40. We encourage anybody to embrace any roadmap that's going to cause us to receive. It's really about receiving God's grace. Mm-hmm. It's about structuring our lives to receive grace poured out at the very heart of it. But obviously, 90 days, there's something powerful about it. And hopefully, they'll want to continue after. If you go there again, you'll see that these are fundamental things that will... Uh, be occasions of experiencing greater grace in our marriages, personally, in our marriages, and in our families overflow into the world. So as we move along to our wonderful guest, Andrew Reinhardt, the Grand Poobah of the Western world. Um, Thanks for going with that. Yeah, I'm liking it, I think. Um, we, again, love to proclaim the scripture, Revelation 12, verse 11. They defeated the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, our holy mass, and the word of their testimony and just the power and grace that comes through just us sharing our story, what the Lord is doing, has done, kind of looking back and seeing those moments of grace, great and small, although there's nothing small about God's grace. Mm. Um, so we're going to turn the microphone to Andrew. And um, Andrew, tell us a little bit about uh, looking behind that encounter with Christ or what, what brought you where you are at yeah, thanks, Greg and Steph. Thanks for the great introduction. Uh, we'll tell your wife, too. She can call you that. Beautiful yeah. <laughs> Brittany. Shout out to our beautiful Brittany Reinhardt. Yeah, hey, Brittany. Um, <laughs> yeah, for me, it was um, my story goes all the way back into my childhood because I have wonderful parents who baptized me in the faith and sent me to Catholic schools. But as a child, I shed my faith. Uh, at, at a young age, junior high, I became agnostic. I figured everything that the church taught was made up that the scripture was fabricated. It's just early enough in the Middle Ages that we didn't know that uh, we were all sort of duped. And um, at the time, the, the cool thing was to become goth, you know, dark clothes. Mm. Yeah. Um, I never <laughs> this did the is makeup. hard to picture. If you guys know Andrew and his, <laughs> his decorum, Andrew is a goth itself. Anyways, keep going. <laughs> yeah, angry music, all that. And um, I, I remember continuing to go to church because I was expected to in my household, but hiding in the balcony and playing my Game Boy, for example, and bringing the bringing for the real? bulletin home. For oh, real? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you that got good great. at Game Boy. Uh, probably better than I needed to be. <laughs> yeah. um, at least you brought home the bulletin. That's okay. Yeah. It, my conversion, I, looking back, happens in stages, and it's still happening in stages. So the, the first stage happened when I was in eighth grade. Uh, I had a, an Ursuline sister who was my eighth grade religion teacher, Sister Rita May. Shout out to her. Uh, as part of the class, she would have us go over to the church for Eucharistic adoration. Mm-hmm. So silent time, praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament on the altar. Mm-hmm. And I hated this time. I hated it because I had to be quiet. Mm-hmm. I had to be with myself. 
Um, and I didn't like being with myself. I didn't feel good. I felt depressed, I think, a lot of the time. And so, like Greg had mentioned earlier, the sacramentality of the body, I think a lot of what was going on on the outside, the darkness was a reflection of what was happening on the inside. Um, I just remember feeling depressed. And one of those times sitting in, in the, the church at St. Joseph and Tiffin, I just remember praying, um, I know what I'm doing now isn't right because of how I feel. And I just said, God, if you're real, show me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like God cracked my head open and dumped the faith in because I walked out of that church believing it all, wow. believing God, wow. believing in the church, the scripture, what I was learning about in my religion classes. And then moving forward, uh, I never really had to study for religion. Um, it was learning something in a religion class was felt more like remembering mm. than it did learning something new. It's powerful. Like uh, built in, it was there somehow infused. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it is, but I think theology is the study of God. And so we're we're talking about somebody we know, right, <laughs> not just right. an idea or a concept or a, a group of ideas. So so I think uh, in a way that it, it wasn't just that I had like an encyclopedia inscribed in my brain, like that kind of infusion, but mm-hmm. but I came to know the God who theology is about. Mm-hmm. Um but like I said it was in stages because at first my faith was personal to a fault. It was just me and Jesus. And I like to say that I let Jesus be my Savior, but I didn't let him be my Lord. Mm. And what I mean by that was I was happy to simply be better than the people I was around. And you can hear a little bit of pride in that, probably. <laughs> I would think things like, oh, at least I'm not doing what that person is doing. Mm. At least I don't do X or Y or Z, like maybe some of my classmates. Um, and then I would pray privately participate in the sacraments, but then my faith didn't go beyond that. And it wasn't until later on, at the end of high school, I was I was in the sports and the football and wrestling, and, and it was clear that playing sports at the next level wasn't in my best interest. So I, I lost this thing that I devoted my life to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in wrestling, I would go to practice after school, then I'd go home and eat dinner, and then I would go train more. Uh, so I was, it wasn't just a matter of, oh, well, now I don't do this anymore. It was a matter of what am I going to do with these four or five hours every mm-hmm. evening? Uh, and, and I started by, well, I'm into sports, so I'll watch sports. Uh, but what I found was, if you ever watch a lot of sports television hour after hour, they simply talk about the, the same, same stuff, <laughs> but it's right. different people sitting around a different table, table in a different set. <laughs> but it's all the same stuff. Uh, and, and what came to me when I was thinking about going on to college and what's going to be important in my life that God had given me this gift of faith and I really hadn't done anything with it. Mm. That I hadn't really prayed a lot or really read the scripture or really built a daily habit of prayer. So I started, I, I, I remember hearing something about, I think it was Abraham Lincoln or maybe one of the, one of the founding fathers. And what he had done is written down his, his faults mm. and he sort of journaled about them. And his plan was, that he would work on this fault for a week, and once he was done doing that, he would move on and then get rid of the next one. <laughs> so That's I thought, great. well, that was a pretty good idea. You know, <laughs> so I wrote down the, the, the sins that I had that I was struggling with, and, and I started tracking, okay, I'm going to focus on this one first. And, um, you know, the, the con- conversion isn't always such a straight path. Right, right. I think I probably still struggle with all the things that were on that list, to be honest with mm-hmm. you, to a lesser degree. Um, 
But the, I was I was at that point set on a journey, and that was reinforced, I think, by uh, going on a Steubenville retreat that summer, mm. and then at I'd gone started off college at Ohio State, and there encountered um, a great organization called Saint Paul's Outreach, mm. and at the time was also discerning the priesthood. So I had a spiritual director, a great Paulist father who was there in the campus ministry. Um, so I had all these great influences, and I went into college thinking something like this. I thought if I could just hold on here and get through and not backslide, not do something that I'll regret in the future, then that would be a success. Mm. But through really encountering the Holy Spirit in a new way, through St. Paul's Outreach, through um, what I didn't realize at the time was a Life in the Spirit seminar formatted for college students, uh, through the the community that I engaged with there in their households and uh, was in a discipleship group, a small faith-sharing group, uh, my faith really grew and blossomed. And I remember a, a poignant experience in the dorms that uh, a, a girl on the other side of the dorm, you know, they kind of had guys and girls separated by wings then. She had come back from a rap concert and she was ecstatic and she was normally very dismal and quiet. And and I asked her, you know, what, what happened? Like, what got you so happy? And it, it come to find out that... Um, she had been asked to go backstage by this rapper in this concert. Wow. And what had essentially happened from my perspective sounded sort of like sexual yeah. assault. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like, right. but she was excited about the the attention, the, the contact mm-hmm. with this very important, wow. famous right. person. And I was left there kind of shell-shocked by what she had shared and how she was so hungry for connection and love wow. and meaning that this brought her joy to be used by this person and then sent back home. Uh, and so at that, that was the point that I made the final decision to then pursue the seminary because I knew I, I needed more. I needed tools. I needed knowledge. I needed, I needed to grow so that I had something to offer to people. Uh, so, That's beautiful. so that was another conversion. I think realizing that, okay, now Jesus isn't just my savior. He's my Lord. And now he's not just my Lord, but I feel called to do something for him, mm-hmm. right? He's now mm-hmm. sort of my king, my general, giving me the marching orders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I went into seminary. I, I had four wonderful years in the seminary, uh, first at the Josephinum in Columbus and then at St. Minard Arch Abbey for graduate school. And in that time, um, I think I, I went in thinking that God was going to make me into a saint, and what I realized was that he took that time to make me more human, mm-hmm. uh, to break me open more, to to in- encounter myself, to, to learn a lot about friendship, and of course learned a bunch of great theology and, and stuff like that. Uh, it wasn't until my, my third year in the seminary, during my meditation time, I started to get just these words about marriage that at first I thought was a temptation. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm trying right. to get taken off track here, so I so I ignored it. I, I you know I I just pushed it aside. Pushed Is it anyone aside. else up there? <laughs> but what happened over the months was this idea of marriage grew and grew and grew in my mind, until every time I closed my eyes and looked inward, it was there, mm. and it had filled the room almost like like an elephant trying to fit into a living room was kind of how my heart and mind felt. Mm. And so I said, "Okay, God, I just won't pray." because <laughs> right. that makes sense right yeah. Here's your <laughs> then sign. you don't have to deal with it right and 
I remember coming back from a break where I had made that decision. Okay, I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna take the quiet time because I can't get this idea of marriage out of my head. And my spiritual director basically said, "What are you doing?" Right. <laughs> um, and at the time, I was a smoker, so I went and had a cigarette, and you know, just tried to get my mind off of of this. And it was actually a, a reflection that God had given me on the Book of Genesis that Adam and Eve grasp for the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And I realized through my theology that it wasn't that Adam and Eve were ignorant, right? Uh, but but they had deep knowledge of truth and of the God and of nature. So it's not that they didn't know a lot; it's that they wanted to take it for themselves. They wanted to grasp it and determine good and evil. And I realized I was making my vocational discernment into the grasping of the fruit. I didn't want to receive my life direction from God, I wanted to grasp it. I wanted to take it. I wanted to know it in that black and white sort of way. I wasn't willing to encounter what was in my heart, trust my feelings, and then take the step in faith. Right? I wanted Mm -hmm. God to give me the full roadmap all the way out. And then God, once you tell me what's going to happen, then I'll take that step. (laughs) What strikes me, Andrew, is that you set this up a little bit as entering in desiring sainthood, and instead, you use the word instead or something like that, it was a discovery of your humanity, for lack of a better phrase, if that's accurate. But what you really were experiencing was that heaven invaded earth in your life to a significant extent, that you were discovering, if I'm right here in reading you, is that you were discovering, shall we say, a sacredness to the human experience, a sacredness to the faculties and capacity that you had that, interestingly enough, were quite accessible, and to see them through God's eyes. So in a sense, a discovery of you, a God you, seeing him yourself through his eyes, it was happening in a very human form. Obviously, marriage is, let's face it, we all have images of something very real and tangible, and Genesis sort of awakening you to God's perspective of flesh and man and woman and desire. Anyways, I digress. Yeah, I, I, th- I definitely think so. I think the idea that that my desires could be something godly was foreign to me. And I don't know where I had gotten that message in my life. Um, so, the, so the idea of letting myself be, be guided by a godly desire. And, and in that, what, what happened was once I made that decision to leave, it, it, was, it was like the, the fog sort of dissipating from a meadow or something like that. Like everything became clear. And it went from dissonance, musically like, like God and I were singing different notes, <laughs> not just different notes, but <laughs> notes that didn't go together at all, to this harmony. Mm. And, and I felt this well almost like spiritual resonance in my heart. Uh, so, so moving out, then I, I was blessed to have a, an opportunity to work in campus ministry at Bowling Green State University. Can I pause you just a second? Yeah. So you understood clearly through teaching or whatever that marriage is sacramental and sacred and it wasn't an abandonment of a vocation, but clearly through the church's revelation, you had enough to know at least that um, that com- that it was sanctioned, if you will, that you were still on the path to holiness or pursuing God when you left. It wasn't like you were abandoning that it would this only belonged to priesthood mm-hmm. and priestly study, but this yearning of this appetite to be filled by God that He gave us is also on a track to marriage. Yeah, it is, um, and and in that. Uh, I think 
trusting that God is going to provide. Because leaving the seminary isn't just a matter of, well, now I'm going to get a new job. Right. It's now I got to figure out a new life, right. <laughs> who I'm going to be, where I'm going to be, what I'm going to do. Like I was, I was on track to never wear a tire, make a resume, <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden you have to do all these things. Mm. So, uh, so making that transition, I, I was really think disoriented for years spiritually. Uh, I, a, f- a couple years after um, leaving the seminary, met my wife Brittany, huge blessing. Um, I remember at at Bowling Green. Okay. Yeah, she first was, time, first encounter. Yeah, first encounter. First okay, encounter. What was the context of the first encounter? The context, I don't even remember the first encounter. Okay, right. <laughs> uh, but I was, we were passing out popsicles to students, and apparently I passed her a popsicle on campus because <laughs> we were trying to get students to come to the university because she was studying there. Uh, and so when she was finishing college was actually when I was departing from my position at St. Thomas More, and that's when we started dating. Okay. The alignment. The alignment. Yeah, God's providence works things out in ways that ways that I are, are better than what I would have planned for myself. You know, looking back. Yeah, popsicles, come on. Yeah, popsicles. I think if God would have answered my prayers that I had years ago, how much more, how much poorer my life would be. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea I had of sainthood, I think, was malformed by a collection of my life experiences and and just the little bit of theology that I had learned at the time. So I, I look back to my time in, in college before I went to the seminary and thought, if, if God would have answered my prayers on how I thought I should have been holy then, mm. how how worse my life would be. Right. So So what I find is God is progressively revealing what it means to be holy to me. And withholding answers to prayers that really probably aren't in my best interest, which even makes me think of now, what are things that I'm asking for now that aren't in my best interest? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How has he continued this process of guiding and leading? I remember my spiritual director, uh, as I was leaving the seminary, he said this, this line to me. He said, Andrew, what's going to change you isn't the fact that you fall in love with somebody. It's that you're going to realize someone is falling in love with you. Mm-hmm. Well and as Brittany and I were dating, uh, I learned so much of what God's love is by experiencing her love for me, mm. right? It wasn't just an idea in a book. It wasn't just me sitting in the chapel by myself, but to experience her love, her forgiveness, her mm-hmm. kindness uh, taught me so much of God's love, God's kindness, God's forgiveness in my life. Um, so I, th- I think in that guidance, then learning more, going deeper, uh, and, and I think the theme I think that I would want to put for this is, mm-hmm. is that it's not a matter of arriving. It's a matter of being on the journey, mm-hmm. right? It, it, right? If I would have thought that I would have arrived at any point, and I, and I think another reason too, why God didn't answer all those prayers early on of, you know, that list of sins I wanted to get rid of, because I think of my struggle with those things in my life. And how they've driven me into the Father's arms, mm. how they've driven me to encounter God's forgiveness oh, and bottomless love and compassion, right. and how they've, they've driven me to become a better version of myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have thought I was perfect, but probably been rather prideful mm. <laughs> if all those things would have been taken away from me. So I think God's allowed sins to persist in my life so that I grow in humility mm. and encounter his love. So you told me a couple years ago, Andrew, been blessed to be brothers in Christ and to grow over the last five, six years. 
Blessed to have you, obviously, with Image Trinity. Blessed to see your leadership in so many other areas. And a couple years ago, you said, I'm never writing a book. I'm not a book writing kind of person. That's my tone. It's not your tone. <laughs> um, <clears throat> sounds a little but, bit. you know, and, and here you are now, uh, at least cooperating with, um, with God's grace that has filled you with a sense of initiative to capture what may become a book, some very important ideas and thoughts particularly in the realm of transformation. And we've both experienced in the last few years, Dr. Bob Schutz, we've had him on our radio program, his book, Be Healed, Be Transformed. And this lens of theology, the body, uh, you've always had a heart for that and hear you talking about that. Um, If that's the point next in your timeline, I don't want to push you there, but if that's the next point in your timeline here, sharing with us, we really want you to share with us some of these things that you've really discovered and have been thinking about with regard to the dynamics of personal transformation. Yeah. So rewind a few years. I was about 180 pounds heavier. Like I said, I, wow. I had, had previously been a smoker mm-hmm. and that's a habit that I had to kick. Uh, in addition to that, just uh, realizing, um, you know, in, in my position, I, I get to do a lot of teaching you know, so so feeling the the distance between what I'm saying and what I'm doing, gotcha. I know that feeling mm-hmm. that, that after giving a talk and thinking, I probably needed to hear this more than anyone else sitting in the seats in this mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. Am I really living this at depth? Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's put me on another journey. You know, I've talked about these layers of conversion, mm-hmm. and this has been another layer of my conversion, and. I have a, a great doctor I, I've been working with for years on getting physically healthier and trying to get mentally healthier and counseling and, and, and working through um, just all my, my mental health and also then continuing to work with my spiritual health with a great spiritual director and, and also uh, you know using the great teachers of the church and church history um, to continue to grow in prayer and grow spiritually. And what I think at first I saw is a lot of very separate things, mm-hmm. like getting physically healthier, something separate than something getting mentally healthier, and something separate than getting spiritually holier, uh, I've realized are all really the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm becoming the person, body, soul, and spirit that God has called me to be. Mm-hmm. Right? In, in, in essence, what I had thought was holiness wasn't. Right? I thought God would make me a saint, but he made me more human. I've come to realize that, well, becoming actually truly more human is becoming more a saint. Right. Uh, Can we just take a moment, folks? 180 pounds. Plus. You missed the three in there, I think. That's that's phenomenal. Gosh. And wonderful. That just, that's amazing. I yeah. mean, and it's not, and I don't say that lightly because I know it, it's, it didn't just happen, Pardon right? It's, oh, ha, ha, ha. Um, but just that perseverance and dedication and discipline and all those other things that you spoke of intertwined. Um, I think we just pass by things too quickly. So praise God and, uh, great. It sounds so cheesy, but congrats Absolutely. <laughs> the on your hard work. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that is holiness but and the wholeness. Bomb, the and, bombshell here as Andrew is setting us up for is really this word whole W-H-O-L-E, and applying to the whole person and this integration of these 
three realms, these areas. The glory of God is man fully alive. And just continue sharing with us, Andrew, how God guided you through that yeah. to greater understanding. Well, he, he guided me through it without me even realizing it, I think. It wasn't He's until like after <laughs> the fact that I look back and realize sort of what God has been doing. So it, getting physically healthier, of course, I've gotten more energy. I've been working on sleeping better. I've been working on all these things. Um, but then uh, looking back, I, I realized I had a, an idea of myself. And I think a lot of people in our culture are saturated in this, that my soul is something distant from from mm, my body, right, right. that I'm, I'm, my body is like a complex robot and that my brain is a supercomputer and my soul is like Casper the Friendly Ghost with a remote control. <laughs> Interesting image. <laughs> I like right, that so there's image. This, so there's this separation of my body and soul and that my, my soul and body only interface in a limited way. So then what I do to my body really doesn't matter. I think we, we think that we, we are our thoughts and our feelings and that we have a body, mm-hmm. but the, the exact opposite is true, that I am my body and I have my thoughts and feelings, right? So this is, uh, I, you could right. go down a rabbit hole with this, but a lot of people think their thoughts and feelings determine the reality, reality around them. And I don't have to even bring up the hot button issues right. where I think that's most obvious. Yep. But the idea that, that I, I am my body, and so everything I do is important. Everything I do um, you know, so for me, at one point in my life, you know, praying a holy hour and then stepping out and having a cigarette, mm-hmm. you know, that's dissonance. That's that mm-hmm. that that separation. Um, and and what I've realized is getting healthier has also led me to being holier, mm-hmm. right? And it's not that um, you lose a few pounds and and uh, work on your depression and then all your sins go away or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's not that simple, but. But I have experienced a lot less temptation in a lot of areas of my life. For me, one of the deepest roots of sin, I think, is fear. But fear isn't by itself. There's also, I think, a mental and a physical correlate that goes along with that. So I think with fear comes anxiety, Mm -hmm. the, the psychological experience of anxiety. And the body physically experiences stress or the fight or flight response. So at the core of a lot of my sin is, I think, this physically, mentally, spiritually, fear, anxiety, stress getting triggered. Um, and, and what I've largely been doing with diet, exercise, sleep, meditation, mindfulness, working on, um, on integrating my past, um, is that I've, I've toned down this fight or flight response that I've had. You know, when, when Adam and Eve sin, they hide. Mm. And, and Adam's response is, I was afraid because I heard you coming. Mm. Right? They experience the fight or flight response right. for the first time. Adam has this anxiety uh, and then this fear of what's going to happen. And I, and I think all sin leads to this pattern in our life, that beneath it there's a fear and anxiety and a stress component. Uh, and this has been imp- important for me, because growing, uh, growing healthier physically has led me to not feel like I'm on edge all the time, like I'm in survival mode, like I'm, I'm always just running from one thing to the next. I like to think of the, the saber-toothed tiger in the inbox, right, where we've evolved to have this, this physical response to danger around us. 
that when something is going to threaten my life, I'm either going to fight it, I'm going to flee, or I'm going to play dead or something. <laughs> um, but right? it's not really well suited right. for the problems I face. Right. You know, I, I never outrun my boss. I never outrun the next email that comes in. I never um, completely get away from traffic and all these other places. I think we can get so triggered in our modern world. So paying attention to how I, how I would feel in those moments and then what's going on in my mind and then also then what's going on spiritually. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this healing process um, that I've been on is really the same as the holiness process, like I said. So for me, I think growing in holiness, what's essential is healing the whole person. Like you had mentioned uh, Bob Schutz a little while ago in, in his great book, Be Healed. So uh, for me, I think there's some initial ground that can be taken in conversion. This is a lot of people just experience when they come to Christ that some sins are simply lifted from them. They just don't struggle with some things anymore. Some things I think go away after a little bit of effort, you know, growing in virtue, trying harder, um, fighting the good fight, praying, but then also some things stay. We continue to struggle with sins. And so I, I think that growing in those sins is actually more of a healing process than it is just, I'm going to try harder. Mm-hmm. But the causes underlying these things are, are personal causes. They're physical, mental, and spiritual. So I think there's a lot of good people out there, and, and I, was, I include myself in this group. They max out spiritually. You know, Really heartfelt disciples who are trying to follow Christ and, and live for him, they're giving all the time they can in the chapel, in mass, in the confessional, they're, they're, they're doing all of that stuff, but they still feel stuck. Mm-hmm. And what I've experienced is that I've gotten huge dividends out of getting healthier in addition to the prayer and, and getting, getting mentally healthier, facing, um, facing my, my fears and my faults from my past. Uh, like I, I mentioned, I, uh, working on meditation, especially helping me de-stress mindfulness that helps me de-stress. I uh, recently uh, got to read a great book by uh, Dr. Bataro called Catholic Mindfulness and the idea of, mm-hmm. of being in the present moment, realizing that that saber-toothed tiger isn't in your inbox. They're just emails. Mm. Uh, so there's nothing to run away from. But realizing that I'm, I'm getting triggered like that, that I'm having this anxiety, fear response, and then actually doing something different <laughs> uh, is a whole nother journey. So then learning... Oh, how can I now deal with these emotions? So for me, one of the things I do is I stop working in the middle of the afternoon and I take 10 minutes to meditate because mm-hmm. I realized that I became pretty much non-productive mm-hmm. in a state of almost paralysis of being pause exhausted. You a second. State of paralysis. And so blessed, by the way, folks, you're with Ignite Radio Live, Andrew Reinhardt sharing with us some dynamics of personal transformation. In the physical realm, you shed 183 pounds like to say he shed a John Paul, now it's a John Paul Plus, my son who's 150 pounds. So I look at him, I think, my goodness. But um, he's, he shared his background, his story up to present, and he's talking about at least an important factor of meditation. So Andrew, just if you don't mind, for those who have no idea or have heard the word, but it's sort of esoteric to them, an alien word to them, just a quick primer on what you do in meditation. Yeah, I do a lot of different things. Meditation is any directed thinking. So we're all meditating. We're just not probably meditating on God most of the time. 
Mm. You know, so when you're sitting there ruminating about what happened during the day or what might happen tomorrow, in a way, that's sort of the same mechanics in your brain, the same function in your brain that you would use when you're meditating. Except when you're meditating, you're actually controlling that ability of your mind to focus on something. Uh, so ways that I meditate are, are things like taking a piece of the scripture, reading it, rereading it, entering into it maybe with my imagination, sort of constructing it in my mind like, like I was in it like a movie. Um, other times I, I just try to spend time in silence. Sometimes I'll use like a mantra style of a prayer, repeating mm-hmm. a prayer over and over again and quieting myself. I think I've been called more and more uh, recently to just be in the silence to be uncomfortable in the silence. Um, and and in that, I, I find my stress, let's say before it was like an eight, it's gone mm-hmm. down to like a four mm-hmm. as a result of integrating a lot more meditation and mindfulness into my life. Uh, so when I wake up in the morning, I try to do at least 10 to 20 minutes. And then, like I said, again, in the afternoon, I take a 10 to 15 minute break in my work. And that last hour or two in the office at the end of the day is the most productive time of my day. It's awesome. And then, few people can say that. Probably. And then when I get home, I still have energy. Mm-hmm. That's the blessing is, my, is that the energy I get from that meditation then spills over into my evening. So I don't come home empty um, looking for, you know, Netflix or a, right. a video game Medicating, or food basically, or, right? or my wife to then help me to feel better. But yeah. I come home um, ready to, to continue to live. Mm-hmm. And, that's awesome. and that's what you had mentioned that I was doing some writing. I actually... One of the, the, the linchpin things in me deciding not to continue on with studies to pursue either another master's degree or a doctorate was how much I hated to write. <laughs> and what I've found is, as, I've, <laughs> as I've grown, that it's spontaneously welling up from inside of me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now I write not as a, as a discipline, but because I can't help but write, right. that I'm seeing what God's doing in my life, and I, and I want to put it down on paper. That's awesome. I, as you were speaking, Andrew, I was hearkening back to the beginning of your journey where you stated Jesus was your Savior, but he was not yet your Lord. Then you described the process through college or the encounter that really you became aware that he truly was your Lord, Latin root Lord Dome, as in to have dominion, to dominate. And I kind of see that theme woven into the whole person journey up to present where to set aside time from the day, most people, they evaluate their value or their, their value is identified with productivity. That's ironic, right? I get stuff done, therefore I'm important, or I climb the corporate ladder, whatever the case may be. This requires a supreme act of God being the Lord to step away from that for a moment and let him be the Lord. The Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. You were discovering, as we all who are listening, I'm sure right now, those moments where we may be working, functionally pieces are moving, but it's very fragmented. At least that's what I experience as you're talking. I'm aware of the degree to which I may be working, even in the faith realm or administrative, whatever realm, but it's in a fragmented way. And something goes off in me, and I know I need to step back and let him be Lord. And I need to come into him. I need to allow him to come into me and experience a wholeness again. And coming through that door, the things that felt so heavy, I think to some extent, for me anyways, I'm duped in my lack of faith into thinking somewhere at my depths that I am Lord. I can control this. And the stepping away is an act of humility to say, ah, something went haywire here along the way. I need to discover your Lord. I need to rediscover that he is Lord. 
you mentioned that your productivity increased then, and you, of course, are tracing that you get home and all this happens. Now, Andrew, you shared with me also um, one of the, maybe a few months ago, that a lot of this is validated by, shall we say, secular science. Mm. And you also made the comment that people who are not necessarily Catholic are getting some things really right. And we may be missing it because we're, as you say, maybe maxing out on just another rosary, just another daily mass, or whatever the case may be. Share with us about that. In a lot of the disciplines I've been studying, what I've found is people are moving away from an idea of the person that's completely formed by modern ideas, like like the idea that your your body is a machine, for example. So we, we fix, sometimes I think our bodies like we might fix a machine, right? So think of how you would fix your car if your car is broken. Mm. Well, you look at it and you think, is there something I can put into it that might, you know, re-moisturize a seal or, or take away the clog? Or, or then you find out what part is broken and you replace the part mm-hmm. that's broken. And oftentimes we approach our bodies in a similar way. It's just a more complex machine. So something isn't working, can I either take a pill for it or is there something I could swap out to make this problem better? Uh, and part of my wellness journey has been discovering principles of a, a, a kind of a, a newer way to approach medicine called functional medicine. And functional medicine approaches the body as a complex system. And the idea is that disease is the manifestation of a, a broken system. Mm. And that by restoring function to the system, the disease will actually slowly get better. So that, that an organic substance like a person has the, uh, the ability to self-organize and heal. Um, so this this functional idea that's of powerful, the body... by the way. That's huge, what you just stated there. That the body has its own God design, we believe, ability to, you say, organize and heal. We have it within ourselves by God's design. Keep going. Yeah, and, and so a lot of people are finding relief from chronic diseases um, with functional medicine approaches, you know, changing diet, to treat things like diabetes or, or even Alzheimer's, dementia. You know, there's, there's dietary things people do, sleep things people do, lifestyle changes people make that help with these things. Um, and, and I think I was approaching my spiritual life in, in a similar way to the way that modern medicine approaches the body. I have this specific problem, so I'm going to try to deal with this specific issue, right? Let's, let's take an example of... Um, Let's say I get I get angry. So what I'm going to do to stop getting angry is I'm gonna I'm gonna take maybe an anger management class. I might in the moment when I get angry try to intervene with my willpower. I'm gonna pray and ask God to take away my anger. Um, but I've learned to become more curious about why am I angry? Right. What's causing? Right. It. What's causing it? What What is the dysfunction to my person that then leads me? To need to become angry, hmm. right? That I I don't just sin because I'm a bad person. I actually sin because I I need to sin. At this point, the things that I still have, I I'm convinced that I have them because I can't live without them. So you I, think they're serving some function to me to cope with the world that I'm living in, right? I'm I'm, I'm maladjusted. So being curious about uh, issues that I'm dealing with why I'm doing them, and then also curious about how to grow out of them, right? So curious about the, the causes and curious about the cures. Um, and, and by that, 
I used to, when I struggled with, with something, would simply just beat myself up about it, right? I need to escalate my, my repentance. Mm. I need to feel worse. And by, by escalating this self-inflicted pain, I'll motivate myself to never do it again. <laughs> right? And I think a lot of people approach right. repentance this way. Right. We think we can control the outcomes of our behavior by simply heaping on self-shame. Um, but approaching myself with curiosity, I have found much, much more productive. Asking, why is this the case? Why can't I live without this yet? And then what are things I can do to not do this anymore? Mm. And not just, you know, the swapping out the part or taking the pill kind of answers, but what are the, the systemic problems beneath it that are causing this to happen? Why do I get so stressed when I'm at work? Why do I get so stressed when I drive? Uh, why do I um, feel this way? when I'm sitting at, alone at night. And how contrary to the culture in which we live, which is so quick fix, right? Everything mm-hmm. is immediate, whereas what you're describing is a process, a journey, you know, mm-hmm. time to figure that all out, to really come at it the way that you'll see a difference, not something, you know, like that. And again, it's so hard for us to put that time and energy so often, right, into something even though we know in the long run, you know, like when uh, our kids were little, um, you know, Greg would always say we're raising our teenagers now, mm-hmm. like the investment and the extra time and the extra everything, discipline, love, everything intermixed is an investment of sorts, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and like what you're saying, just to take that time, to take that time, to take that time, really you're paving the way for that wholeness of what of which you speak. You know, frustration is a function of anxiety. It's a mouthful, I'll say it again, but frustration. And how many of us listening right now have frustrations in our lives? Let me rephrase that. How many of us choose frustrations in our lives because we have expectations of things? Does that factor in to this somehow, Andrew, of realigning our expectations, realigning that sort of thing, and how has that played out with you? Yeah, realigning expectations. I, I think that God is calling me to give my whole self to him. The only thing he promises me in return is himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The only thing. So I give me him, I give him me, and I, and I get God in return. Right? So I've, I've in the past wanted to tie my prayer to the results. Mm-hmm. Right. That's powerful. Right. Right. God, right. give true. me this. God, give Simply me that. Simply profound. And it wasn't, you know, give me a million dollars or a new car or, or whatever. Um, it was things like, God, help me not to have this sin anymore. Help me to overcome that obstacle. Um, but even in me wanting moral perfection, it was me expecting a result from God. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't, I don't achieve perfection by God giving me superpowers to be virtuous. Right. I achieve moral perfection by Becoming God mm. by receiving God and, and becoming like God, as the Easterns would say. Mm. Yeah, divinization. And let me take a example that is probably prominent, maybe among more among younger people, but certainly in our culture of lust, mm. um, disordered desire. Uh, it's surrounded by these devices in our pockets. We're surrounded by it there, possibly, or TVs, media, commercial advertisement. One may be in a place where it's under their thought world and it's under their action world. And we know stats demonstrate even the most faithful people struggle 
with pornography. So there's a manifestation of this. So they could perhaps choose, as they should, to maybe get Catholic Covenant eyes on their phones. It's great. They should, right? And if we care about our kids, we care about their souls. We want to take those uh, efforts to be, um, I don't know, to be aware of occasions of sin. Yes. But you're speaking to something deeper. You're saying yes, but it's not enough. Here is an opportunity to truly be set free or to be rightly oriented toward God in our heart, mind, body, soul, so that, as St. Augustine said, the itch that or whatever, that he had to keep scratching or whatever, there was, a, there was a transformation of soul that took place in Augustine's life, and you're on that track and experiencing yourself as an example, a process, rediscovering it or articulating it, that will result in a greater unity with God, a wholeness, a fulfillment. What steps, for instance, using that as an example, and some of the methodology that you are discovering, what, how much you guide somebody listening right now in that specific example to more fully be free from lust and to see it transformed into love, if you will, or intimacy? I would say take a holistic approach. Overcoming something like pornography isn't just a matter of willpower. And, and some boundaries can be helpful, things like covenant eyes or even better, probably just getting rid of the device. Mm-hmm. Um, those things can be helpful to give you some space from the problem. But there's a reason why you're watching pornography if you don't want to be watching pornography, right? If, if I don't want to do something, I simply don't do it anymore. And if I can't not do it, it means that I can't live without it. Mm-hmm. So there's a reason why you can't stop watching pornography. And if you simply put boundaries around it to stop doing it, but you don't take care of the underlying cause, you're either going to be like a pressure cooker or you eventually will breach maybe boundaries that you have for yourself or, or, or go to more extremes to get that same lust fix. Or you could transfer that onto something else, right? Whatever pornography is doing for you, you could just find something else in your life, maybe food or maybe uh, Netflix or maybe um, your social media feed or whatever, but you might just simply transfer that need onto something else. Um, so one of the other ideas is that, um, that I've, I've taken on is that um, I'm not just going for a lack of disease in my life. Mm-hmm. So me being physically well isn't simply me simply not having diseases, but it's me flourishing, mm-hmm. me having wellness. Mm-hmm. In the same way, being holy isn't just not sinning. Mm-hmm. It isn't simply not committing X, Y, or Z sin, but me being holy is me being like God. So that means I need to deal with the stuff in my life that even isn't sinful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one thing I would say to the person struggling with pornography is have compassion on yourself. Mm. Switch that, that posture of self-condemnation to a posture of curiosity. Why can I not live without this? What, what about it from my past and my present leads me to need this still? Um, and, and then approaching yourself with that, then you can start to parse it out. I would recommend counseling to anyone struggling with that. Mm-hmm. Um, if nothing else just to deal with the shame that you probably feel. Um, I think in, in our church, we sometimes feel like these are the really bad sins that mm-hmm. I should feel bad about, right, and right. these are the not-so-bad sins that I don't have to feel bad about. So we have a lot of Christians out there, some that are too ashamed to really face their sins in the light, and others that feel like, well, they're pretty good. Right. So they never face their sins because they've almost made a truce with them. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit of gossip. you know. It's just a little bit of detraction. It's just a little bit of watching eight hours of TV a day or whatever it is. Um, so, so we could either enter a truce with our sin or, or have 
so much shame that we never face it. So I think one of the biggest issues with pornography or any sexual issue is just the shame that people experience. Mm -hmm. They feel like they can't get help because then someone might know. And their identity's dirty. They've mm -hmm. maybe succumbed to uh, in their vulnerability to that lie. And uh, they have a hard time believing that the dirtiness that they feel can ever be transformed or redeemed mm -hmm. at that very core level. Um, so, Andrew, you really um, articulated something that I think, uh, and which maybe in the rest of our time, and whatever else you want to share, but in the rest of our time in the church, uh, heaven is not the absence of hell. It's a proactive, positive fullness of what we are called to is in the garden. And um, one of the challenges I think we face today is absence of good testimonial and witness and image and vision of what whole living looks like. As you say, we're so much reacting to sin. We're reacting to negativity. We've defined the good in terms of the bad. And I, I would even say to folks listening right now, how many of them, how many of us are struggling in pursuit of holiness because it's been defined that way instead of seeing the light and walking in it or maybe seeing examples of the light who are pursuing that good. Um, what are some maybe signs in the church as one who works in the church and is very immersed in church things? What are some signs in the church, I don't know, that we should perhaps look to, seek, be immersed in to accomplish this wholeness all the more, to walk in its light as opposed to absence of darkness? Yeah, we need to call people to holiness first. Mm. I think there's a lot of people out there whom simply don't have a desire for sanctity. Like we've, we've set a vision for what it means to be a disciple, I think pretty low sometimes, or, really? or by not saying anything about what it means to be a disciple, people simply fill in the gaps with whatever they already know. What does it mean? So they can't be blamed. I think it's giving your whole life to God, hmm. not just your sin, not just Sunday Mass, but your whole life. You know, my, my wanting to be more productive in the afternoon is a matter of that meditation time, but it's also a matter of what I choose to eat for lunch and how I choose to sleep the night before, and the prayer that I choose to make when I sit down at my desk. You know, there's a whole collection of mind, body, soul choices that I make that lead to the outcome of me being able to focus in the afternoon. Mm. So I, I think similarly, giving your whole life to God is how do you sleep? How do you eat? Uh, how do you deal with the stress in your life? Um, you know, that the, the person dealing with the pornography issue that we had mentioned before um, you know, just sleeping better, exercising every day. I think these things can have profound effects on somebody dealing with these temptations. Um, and I think across the board, we're called to be completely given to God, mm -hmm. not just not sin. Every single minute of every single day, we're called to be the person that God wants us to be. Um, and, and I still fall really short of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I think that's that's the calling. And how beautiful, right? It's not just it's not just not doing something, mm. but that desire to be complete, to you know, relationally be connected to our Lord. In the in the church, I think we mistaken cause and effect sometimes. Mm. So for me, for example, one of the effects of me growing and being healthier is that now I can write. I, I have energy in the evening and inspiration to write. And I think we especially make our evangelization efforts and our outreach efforts into a matter of just programs, right? We're just going to teach people the method of evangelization and then send them out and then they're going to do it. I think uh, social outreach evangelization are symptoms of holiness. Mm -hmm. 
So what? So it, right on. So these things well up in the person's heart. Um, and when they don't, we're simply giving ourselves more to do, mm-hmm. right? We're, I went back to that fight or flight response, that just being overwhelmed, having too much to do. Feel the dry bones. As a church, I think we're chronically in fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. What's the next email? What's the next scandal? What's the next news article that comes out? And we're just reacting to these things, um, running around, feeling overwhelmed, and then, oh, now we have to evangelize too, <laughs> So we'll put something else on the to-do list. So now the evangelization is going to get us stressed out. Mm-hmm. Um, I Which think we need to take a step take? back, grow an authentic holiness, and the new evangelization will grow organically out of that manifestation mm-hmm. of holiness. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, John Paul II's thought is all connected. So an authentic living of the theology of the body, mind, body, soul, integration with God, is the cause of the new evangelization the church re-proclaiming the gospel to nations that are no longer Christian. So good, so good. Folks, so blessed to have you with us tonight. Ignite Radio Live with Greg and Stephanie's special guest, Andrew Reinhardt, a beloved brother in Christ and partner on the journey, seeking God's grace outpoured, seeking all the more fully who we are, who he made us to be souls worshiping him there's no room for debris there's no room for junk and all this really is about a life of worship which we're destined to for eternity and to see all aspects of our lives as occasions of lifting it up to god so tonight in this moment whatever frustration anxiety clouds debris you're experiencing we just renounce them in the name of jesus christ and pray that all the more fully you with us recognize and receive his grace outpoured that we may be one with him for all eternity and all those around us may all the more fully discover him also. Speak Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Amen.